0: studying in the book of thessalonians first thessalonians i'd like for you to turn to chapter four as we look at verses 13 through 18 the remainder of this chapter we've been talking about that real church that genuine church the church that we could pattern ourselves after in many ways and this is what paul is letting us know and and here he's talking about a church with an authentic hope and that hope is in the return of jesus christ and that return is what he's talking about here is something that is uh really different than the return to earth at his second coming this that he's talking about in this passage is rapture and so this is what we're going to be looking at let's uh go to the lord in prayer after we read this and these verses and then Let's ask God during prayer time to just open our eyes to his word and his truth. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not uh, grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even as God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with those words let's go to the lord in prayer father i just want your words to comfort us to encourage us to enlighten us and help us to leave this place with that authentic hope realizing that you are coming for your church and hopefully coming soon and that we will see you and god be with you but until then as a challenge that we're to comfort one another and we're to be steadfast and continue to look for your coming and and be faithful to you in every way and so may that be a challenge to us also for i pray this in jesus name amen i came to know the lord as i've shared with you uh under the ministry of uh one of the greatest bible teachers i think that we've had in this decade and he loved to preach book by book from the Bible, and his preaching was good, but it was really good. I thought when he came to the Book of Revelation, and the future plans of God. Now then, it got fantastic and it got exciting, and I loved to hear him preach about it, and I love to hear these preachers that uh, you know do this and preach and expound on these end time. Uh, events and these uh how it's laid out from the word of god another one uh is the uh the one out in california uh doctor um and my, my mind just went blank but uh, uh he he's on tv and he's uh written quite a few books anybody david jeremiah yeah now if you've ever read any of his stuff it's very good and if you listen to him uh, he's exciting to, uh, to hear. But when we, uh, when you know, when he was preaching on Revelation, this preacher of mine, he was told when he was young, when he was first called into the ministry, uh, before he really preached on Revelation at the church, the first church that he was at, he, uh, a godly older man, approached him and said, not exactly these words, but this is in essence what he said. He said, Always be true to the Word of God. He said, but let me suggest one thing to you about preaching the Word of God. Stay away from Revelation. He said, it was not meant for man to understand. Now, I know he meant well, the older gentleman. But wouldn't it be a shame if people did not study Revelation, did not try to find out the end times? This church Now, people, this is contrary to what this nice, godly gentleman was trying to give advice to this preacher about. This, I mean, Paul was teaching them about the end times. And we need to know this. I'm afraid, though, that many people either have uh, been given the same advice by people in their churches or they're afraid to tackle the book. And it's difficult. But it's in the Bible for us to study, for us to teach, and for us to preach and understand. So, understand better. Sometimes we think that uh, our young converts should not uh, hear about the end time events. And we believe that the teaching will either scare them or they won't understand it and they'll become so confused. Or both and they'll just fall away from the church. Some say we don't know when Christ is coming again. It wasn't in the last uh, 2,000 years, and it might not be in the next 2,000 years. And if this is so, then uh, why worry about studying something that we won't see for so long? Looking for Christ to return is a wonderful thought, but practical people have other matters to worry about. I'm afraid a lot of people think that way. And many members of churches and our pastors may think the same way. But the Apostle Paul strongly disagreed with the notion that studying prophecy was only for the more mature or spiritually minded or curious minded Christians. Paul did not believe in getting sidetracked with uh, who's going to be the Antichrist or, you know, let's figure up the numbers and let's find out who it is or uh, what nations uh, might be in the European Union. Now, let me see, well, that one's dropped out, this one's come forward, you know, this type thing. But he did at least point to the prophecy of the end times, to have hope for the future and to keep our eyes Focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him coming again. So Paul started, he he started many churches that, that were filled with new believers at the time. And he taught these young believers about the return of Christ. This church was one of them. And for this church planner, prophecy was the heartbeat of the life and ministry of it. So when he founded the church in Thessalonica, he taught them to look forward uh, to Christ's return. Why? Well, he knew that a focus on the return of Christ would keep the congregation pure and would keep them courageous. And teaching prophecy to other believers does not mean that they'll not have uh, problems at times in understanding it, or not be confused at times, but uh, that they are to strive and continue on in it and to try and grow and allow it to challenge in, them. Even the more mature and more curious prophecy teachers will tell you that, you know, there's certain things about the end times that they just don't understand. But that doesn't mean that they're, they've stopped studying it and trying to figure it out. Uh, by way of the Holy Spirit teaching them. It means that they just dig in deeper. And so Paul knew this when teaching them about prophecy. And many times he would unfortunately have to leave. And and so it left his students, uh, the people in that church, uh, a little confused. And maybe with more questions than answers. And it seemed that the believers being taught for Paul... Here, we're looking forward to the return of Christ in their lifetime. But since he had not returned, there was a little confusion there. And Christians not only became confused, but they began to fret a little bit. And uh, they wondered what would happen to those who had died, or if they died, before he returned. And so uh, some uh, some of them had already died. That were part of the church. And, and so this is what Paul is writing then. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In other words, unbelievers. He's saying, Our friends who died before Christ return are they at a disadvantage that's what they were wanting to know are they at at any kind of disadvantage what about my my uncle that went on what about my wife that died my husband my child will they miss this wonderful event the return of christ if and when he comes for those who are living so the uh, thessalonians their hope began to wane and And they needed clarity, and they needed that authentic hope to be foremost in their minds and their hearts. And so Paul taught them that their loved ones would not be at any disadvantage. Matter of fact, they would be at a little advantage if they had died. So he told them that the dead in Christ would rise before the living are caught away to heaven. And both the dead and the living would be transformed at the same time. It they, they will be a sequence, but it will be at the same time. And they will be given new bodies with their new homes that will bring about that activity and that accessibility for that new body to live in that new home, that glorified body. So all this will happen in a twinkling of an eye, Paul writes about, describing it that way in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Now Paul did not want the believers at Thessalonica to be misinformed about what would happen to those who have died uh, and for those who were still living when Christ returned. So he informs them about the event. And this event is known as rapture. And I know that people have said, well, the rapture is, that word is not found in the Bible. And they're correct. That word is not. The word rapture is not found, uh, you know, in, in the uh, English per se. But, uh, or in the Greek, that, uh, that English word. But the word catching away in the Greek is. It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There'll be a catching away together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now the Latin word for caught up is raptural. From which we get the English word rapture. So I guess one could really say that the word rapture is thoroughly biblical. Because it's the same word as being or has used as being caught up so um, what Paul is telling us here is and telling them is that one day Christ will return in the air and there will be a catching away a rapture a rapturing up of believers who are still on this earth and those who are coming back with him they will also be with him and there will be a transformation there will be a changing there will be a resurrection there will be a resurrection where they will receive their glorified bodies so what will happen at this time that we call the rapture well it says in verse 13 we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope The unbelievers, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in other words, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. With a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So we need to comfort one another with these words. That is a comforting, genuine, authentic hope. Now, concerning those who are asleep you'll look at it Paul states I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope two things here Paul says you're confused over what has happened to those believing loved ones who have died they're with hope they're not without hope and so those who are asleep or who have died are with the Lord in other words You're confused about that. They're already with the Lord. Paul tells them in in 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, he's telling them the ones that have already died those who have fallen asleep if you will those who have passed on They're with the Lord because if they weren't, then who who is Christ bringing back with him? He's bringing back those who are with him, right? And those are the ones who have passed away and they're in his very presence. That means that when they died, they went to be with the Lord. Paul taught that believers who die will immediately depart to be with the Lord in heaven. In fact, several times he spoke of this reference and preference to die rather than to live. He said uh, to be with the Lord. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8 and Philippians 1.21. He said it's better than uh, to remain uh, here. So, uh, so what Paul is letting the believer know is that when one dies, they don't go into the grave And then that's it, which some beliefs teach, which some religions teach, which some cults teach. Their body is lowered into the grave, but their soul, spirit goes to be with the Lord. Now, what does that look like? I don't know. Some say it takes on some form, some characteristics of a body. But it's not a body, but it takes on that characteristic. Not a physical body, but yet takes on that type of characteristics. They're able to communicate with Jesus and others who are already there. And from a biblical perspective, human human beings are made up of both the material aspect, the physical, and the immaterial, the soul and the spirit. So Paul lets the believers know Of this authentic hope. You know, it's sad not to have hope, isn't it? But many in this world don't have hope. Many who have passed through this world did not have hope. I remember a Larry King live show when he had numerous speakers on the show talking about their view about life after death. One was a church that we mentioned in the deacons' meeting. And that was John MacArthur's church out in California. He was on there representing evangelicals. Others were a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, a doctor who was a Muslim, a spiritist who was Jewish, and an atheist. Everyone except the atheist believed in some kind of life after death. The atheist said he believed when we die, that was it. While we are living, we're to try and live the best we can to make this world a better world for those who follow us. Well, Christians try to do that, but they go on beyond that in offering a hope that he did not have, a hope that the world, many in the world don't have, that are lost. Our life is only in the here and now, he said. And that's pretty sad news, isn't it? Wouldn't it be sad to be living here and knowing that one day you're going to die and you were just here for a short time? There was no really no purpose other than try to live a good life. Well, what, what's the end result there? What's the end purpose? Okay, the next person that's an atheist, they want to live a good life, to pass it on to the next, to the next, and to the next. And every one of them die. What happens? Why live a good life? A terrible cycle there. And so, from the teachings in the Bible, we know that when a human physically dies, his or her spirit departs from the body. Second Corinthians 5, 8. The New Testament word for death carries the idea of separation. At the moment of physical death, a man's spirit, soul, separates or departs from his body. And that's why when Stephen was being stoned to death, you remember him praying? What did he say? He said in Acts 7, 59, Lord Jesus, receive my what? Spirit. Receive my spirit. Ecclesiastes 12 even talks about it. In verse 7, at the moment of death, the spirit returns to God who gave it. So death for the believer leads to a hope, a wonderful life existence after this life. Philippians 1.21, for me as I was uh, referring earlier for me to live is Christ but to die is gain but for the unbeliever that's not true just like with this atheist it's really grim prospects if you will there's no hope just die and be buried hope that you've done well but you don't even believe in God at death the unbeliever's spirit departs from the body and goes not to heaven Not for the unbeliever, but to a place of great suffering. In Luke 16, 19 through 31, we're given that picture. Now there was a rich man, you remember that? And he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of my finger or his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And we'll stop there. Either one of two places, heaven or hell. No other places. No in-betweens. Whether the spirit of soul takes on some kind of uh, body form, characteristics of a body form, uh, we don't know. But we know that, that both believers and unbelievers remain in spirits. And that until the future day of resurrection, then they will receive that glorified body for the believers the unbelievers will be cast into hell so in heaven Christians will recognize one another and they are in the presence of Jesus even though they're enjoying Christ and, and others they will still be in a little incomplete state until they receive that resurrected body that glorified body and they're waiting on it their permanent resurrected bodies have not yet been given to them until Christ's return and here at the rapture. That happens at the rapture. Someone once said, no Christian has ever died and regretted it. Why? They've been delivered from this sin-sick world. They're now in the very presence of the Lord with other believers, never to die, never to have pain again, never to experience sorrow again. But they surely await that arrival of that glorified body now it says Paul assures the believers at Thessalonica that the believers who are asleep who have died are with the Lord what about their physical bodies well those who are asleep will return with the Lord for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So Paul tells the believers at Thessalonica that when Christ returns, he will bring with him the dead in Christ. Those who have died and gone on to be with the Lord. This means that they are not in the grave. They were simply in the grave. If they were simply in the grave, how could Christ bring them back with him? All the soul spirits have, uh, you know, have died and uh, and. Those who have trusted Christ as their Savior are with Him right now. All who are with Christ will return when He comes, it says, uh, to rapture the church up just prior to the tribulation. It will be a great reunion in the sky. And now we'll speak about the sequence of events in just a moment. Sleep is used to describe the physical death of a believer because we really don't die. We just step into a different spirit zone or whatever you want, or zone, if you will. Uh, What Paul is saying is, uh, just think about it for a moment. We, when we die, we immediately stop breathing here in our physical body, but our spirit so is with the Lord. I mean, it's ushered into the very presence of the Lord at that time what he's he's telling us is I was thinking about this year I turned 69 my dad would have been 69 in about two months he died at 68 he was saved in his 40s and guess what if I'm here when the Lord returns guess who's going to be with him my dad not only that, but my mother, who was saved as a child, who died in her early 70s, is with the Lord. Right now. And when the Lord returns, if I'm here, then guess who I'll be able to be caught up with? Her. My, you know, our grandparents. Debbie's grandparents. Her father, who uh, has passed on to be with the Lord. You know, if we're still here on earth when Christ comes with these believers, we'll meet them in the air. And if we die before the rapture occurs, we'll go to be with the Lord and be in His very presence waiting for that return. That return where we will be coming with Him for Him to rapture the church and we will at that time receive our glorified bodies. So, all who have fallen asleep is an expression used in the New Testament to refer to all who have died as believers. And Jesus will bring with him those who have died and are in his presence when he comes for the church. Janet Willis, a mother of nine children, six of whom were killed in a tragic accident in 1994, said this about her Precious children. First, they're safe. Second, they're good. Third, they're happy. And fourth, I will see them again. What a testimony to the power of God's promises to a believer. All believers will receive, as I've already mentioned, new bodies for the Lord himself, and that's because of who he is, will descend from heaven with a shout, shout meaning summons, or it was a military command also, and it's used for the purpose of gathering together, and that's what will happen, gathering together, that will be a summoning, gathering together, all those believers, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and with the dead and... And the dead in Christ will rise first. So first of all, the dead in Christ will be joined to their newly resurrected bodies. Just imagine the scene. The graves. I don't know how it will pass through, the glorified body. I don't know if the graves will all be open. I don't know what will happen. But I do know with the believers, guess the catching away, man. Can you imagine? And and the bodies being united with with those who have gone on to be with the Lord and, and, and those who were here on earth, the changing there. And all that will be happening. For the first time, these souls will be clothed with their resurrected bodies. The scripture tells us, for the Lord himself, and that's adding himself means because of who he is, will descend from heaven with a shout. In other words, rise up just like with Lazarus called forth Lazarus rise up and the bodies will appear Jesus taught that the day is coming when the dead shall hear his voice and they will be resurrected some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of damnation John 5:28 and 29 or yeah 28 and 29 do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. These resurrections don't occur all at one time. And, you know, if we had time, we'd talk about that. But uh, they, uh, we see the first res- resurrection will be of the believing dead. There will be a voice of an archangel, which is probably a reference to the archangel Gabriel. And this event may uh, have the voice of an archangel Gabriel calling out, but there'll probably be other angels w- accompanying this event. Uh, there were angels when uh, Jesus was born, and uh, there were uh, angels uh, there when he ascended. And uh, they will more than likely be more than one angel there when he uh, returns. And we know that they are, are present at his second stage uh, where uh, he comes to earth, that glorious appearing. And so 2 Thessalonians talks about that in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, uh, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is talking about the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period. And so there will be the trumpet of God also in this. Blowing trumpets in the Old Testament signified it was time to pack up and move. You remember when Israel camped in the wilderness and it was time to break camp and move on from there the trumpet would blow and so when Jesus comes there'll be a trumpet blast and the dead in Christ will rise first and it is it will be time for bodies to come forth from the grave to be reunited with the souls of the deceased saints but in a glorified sense And it'll be time for us to pack up and leave home. Going to our true home, heaven, with our resurrected bodies. And then the bodies of the living will be transformed. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Those who are alive when the Lord comes For his church will instantly be transformed. This will not occur. Though until after those who have died. And and come back with the Lord. Have been transformed. But it will be instantaneously. For some conservative uh, scholars. uh, The dead in Christ means only the church saints. But they do not believe that it includes believers of the Old Testament. The redeemed of the Old Testament. But we know that that this will be a time when he brings back those who have believed to rapture up his church. Paul is politely encouraging believers who were worried as to whether their dead ones would be at a disadvantage when the Lord Jesus returns. He's saying, no, they'll be of an advantage, really. And so you ought to be rejoicing. Paul also taught that there would be an entire generation of Christians who would be alive at the returning of Christ. He said there will be those who will be here on earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52, listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In other words, not all of us have died. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So Paul refers to death as sleep. And he tells them that when Christ comes in the cloud to rapture up, the remaining church, some believers, will still be living here on earth. And that, mean, that means that some believers will not die. They'll be kind of like Enoch, who will be taken on to be with the Lord and we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye now how long is that well some say it's approximately one fiftieth of a second those believers who are alive and remain will be changed from the existence of their uh, regular body to an eternal body immediately in seconds this will all take uh, you know take a, you know will happen excuse me and the dead in christ will have already been raised just as quickly and so the last trumpet mentioned here does not necessarily mean the last trumpet to be heard if so then some post-millennialists who believe that the rapture and the glorious appearing must happen simultaneously would be correct instead the last trumpet is the last trumpet for the church He's talking to the church. In other words, it signals the end of the church age. The signals of the end of the church age. We know from the book of Revelation there are other trumpet calls such as the trumpet judgments. But this is the end of the church age. Now both groups, the dead in Christ and the living will be transformed to be caught up together with Christ in the clouds. The appearing of Jesus is always associated with clouds. We will meet the Lord in the air, and so so we will be with the Lord forever. And the word meet is often used of a delegation meeting with an important person. And this is the most important person, Jesus Christ. So shall we be with the Lord forever, Paul tells us. He said, it goes on, he says, encourage one another with these words. <clears throat> so the departures on earth for Christians, when people die, they're not, they're never permanent. In other words, Christians never really say or should say goodbye to the believing, loved ones at funerals. What they should say is, I will see you soon. We will see them soon. I heard a good description for the word sleep. Someone once said, sleep is like a mother. And I love this, rocking a child to sleep after feeding it with a bottle. She will rock a baby gently to sleep. And the child will later wake up. When the Christian dies, it's as if Jesus has lulled him or her to sleep in his arms. And then later the child will rise to be with him forever and ever. So we don't grieve like the rest of men, it says, who have no hope. Now, I want to just finish this sermon with these events. I know the rapture is mentioned here. You say, well, what's going to happen? If you believe that there's going to be a rapture, what are the events? Well, these are the basic events. First of all, We're considered living in the church age. The age of grace. Second of all, there's coming a time when the church will be raptured out of this earth. From this period. No longer will this period be. The church will be removed. The rapture is an event that could occur at any moment. And I want to say this. It is. The descriptions, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk about this in a moment, the descriptions over in Matthew that we're going to be talking about in chapters 24 and 25, end-time events, they describe the end-time events during the tribulation, right before the Lord comes back to earth. In other words, those events, if we see a lot of the foreshadowing of those today, and the shadowing is getting longer and longer where it's covering more and more, I mean, by that I mean there's it's just uh, rapidly occurring and there's more and more of them, then if that is to happen before his coming, there's no sign that we have to be looking for for the rapture to, to occur. It's signless. It could happen any time. The seven-year period of tribulation comes next dividing into three and a half and three and a half years at the end the campaign of armageddon the second coming of christ to earth the millennium where he rules and reigns for a thousand years satan being bound during that time and then at the end of the thousand years him being released deceiving some who have not truly believed during that period a great white throne judgment that will be for the lost and then the new heaven and new earth the rapture being signless means that christ could come for his church at any time this is what paul was trying to get across to him this is why he's saying encourage one another with these words now as i mentioned earlier are the signs during the tribulation period Relevant in any way to us today. I believe they are, as I've tried to describe with the shadowing, even though they are signs for the second coming of Christ to earth. Just like tremors or foreshocks often occur before what? Major earthquakes. So, preliminary manifestations of some of the tribulation signs of the time, are now emerging in our day as those tremors, I believe. What magnitude, I can't tell you. How close, I can't tell you. It's been said that prophecies cast their shadows before them. This, I believe, to be true. Prophecies that relate specifically to the period of tribulation are presently I believe casting their shadows before us before that time I believe we can logically infer that the stage is now being set for the future tribulation period and the second coming of Christ that will follow now am I telling you when it's going to come and boy we better be ready tomorrow I'm telling you you better be ready tomorrow because the rapture should come or could come at any time. But I'm not saying when the tribulation's coming. Or when the uh, rapture is coming. I believe that when Israel became a nation again. And declared her independence in 1948. That opened it up. Read Ezekiel 36 and 37. That declared that it was the end times super trend. That opened the way for all other prophetic signs to be fulfilled. Some prophetic shadows are being cast now. And I'd like to just give three categories real quickly. One is political unrest. You say, well, that's always been. But look at the intensity, look at the vastness of the shadow being uh, spread. Second, the economic shadows pointing to our world becoming cashless, the move towards a one world monetary unit, which would be very easy for an Antichrist to come in and take over at that time. And third, the cultural forecast relating to morality and anybody with open eyes and with a mind and that has been around can honestly say there's been a change in our moral culture, our environment. Sexuality, tolerance, and the family unit rapidly becoming worse and worse. I definitely see from Scripture where we're living in what the Bible calls the end times. The end times is really from the time of the church to when the rapture occurs and tribulation comes in. I mean, that's all considered the end times. So we are definitely living in the end times. As we look at this, this should challenge us more than ever to live rightly. Waiting for the Lord. Man, it should challenge us, instead of us being lazy about our Christianity, being alert for our Christianity. Recognizing these shadows should help us avoid becoming agnostic when relating to prophecy. What do you mean by that? Well, the word agnostic means having no knowledge or without knowledge. There are many today who say they are unsure. They have no knowledge about the specifics of prophecy. They claim because there are so many different views on the end times, the millennial, the rapture, they said that there's no way that you can tell why even study. But the antidote to prophetic agnosticism is a literal approach. And I want to tell you, a lot of people look at the book of Revelation as being non-literal in the sense that they think that it's it's a description of, spiritual description of evil and good. I think that the Lord would have clearly let us know with that book if that was the purpose of that book. We need to study the end times prophecy because we'll be confronted by scoffers just like in Second, Timi- or Second Peter 3, 3-4. In the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Doesn't that sound like today? Now, you may not be able to share a lot in revealing about the end times. And, and uh, you know, they may come mocking. But one thing that you can do is refer them to Ezekiel 36 and 37 and say, all I know, I may not know a lot, but all I know is that I do know that Israel became born again as a nation, just as the prophets foretold. And after that, the Jews have been streaming back to the Holy Land, year after year, just like the prophets foretold. And I don't know about you, but I can't possibly ignore something that the prophet so obviously nailed on the head. There was a study, how should we live then? There was a story about a farmer with his dog. The farmer who had been very close in relationship with this dog, had it all his life. The farmer died one day. They came and took his body and put it in a coffin and put it on a train to carry off to be buried. According to the story. This dog ran towards the train. Because his master was on the train. But the train went off. But every time. That train came into the station. That dog heard the whistle. And he was waiting there. For his master. People. Why can't we live with such great expectation for the Lord's return? We should. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace. And God, don't know when you're going to return, but I do know that we do live in the last days. And I do know that you're coming back and you're coming for your church. You tell us this. And I just pray that as a church that we'll be challenged by this and we'll start living as though you're coming back today. That means, God, that we will give our whole life, wholeheartedly, all of our heart and soul to you. We'll see what you want for our lives for change. We'll see what you want us to do. We'll see what... How you would have us to live. We'll see what you teach us about right and wrong. And not so much what the culture or what the world or what somebody else says. And we'll be not so much wanting and desiring to please others. As much as first and foremost wanting to please you. Help us live that way God. With that anticipation. And even if we die, and we're not in that that group that is caught up, Lord, it's not in vain. We know that your promises are true, and we know that it's going to happen. And uh, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be in your very presence, and one day coming back with you for that great event. So God, help us to live with that kind of excitement, that kind of challenge. That kind of desire to please you, to look for you, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, God's dealing with your heart. You feel free to come. Kneel at the altar, whatever it might be.